This is Brian Croft. Welcome to Trench Talk, the podcast of practical shepherding. And I am joined once again in studio by Jim Sebastio. Jim, welcome. Uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about a topic that every pastor needs to be thinking about. Uh, it's going to be a struggle for every pastor in a congregation. So every pastor listening to this, hopefully, this will be a helpful conversation. Jim's gonna get things started for us by reading a, an important passage that really sets sets the stage for the discussion. Thanks, Brian. The passage I have in mind uh, today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 7, jumping into a bit of the, the context here, but Paul's describing the effect of his ministry and and really his own life and his own integrity, and in this passage, his own affections for the Lord's people. And he's able to say this, and words that I wonder if we would be comfortable writing to our congregation. But he says in verse 7, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So I wish it was not the case, but apparently we need to have a podcast discussion that a pastor is actually supposed to love his people and have affection for them, and that the people should hopefully love their shepherds in that way. Is that what we're talking about? That's what I want to talk about today, Brian. And I don't know if it's been your experience. You talk to an awful lot of men about pastoral issues. I would imagine because you're you're like a pastoral doctor, Brian, and people don't I don't have a doctorate. That, that's I know a I know I know you don't I think that's but, a problem. But what I mean is you are people come to you when they're in distress. Pastors call the pastor doctor not when things are going well. They generally don't say, Hey Brian, my name's so and so. I just wanted to tell you I pastor the greatest group of people and it's such a joy. I bound into the pulpit every week, preach sermons, people get converted, and I get carried out on their shoulders every Sunday to the cheers of <laughs> I'm exegete, exegete. You know, I'm whatever. berated every day with those phone calls, just so you know, but go ahead. Right. So you get people calling you, probably often heartbroken, in tears, frustrated. They're trying to be faithful. Ready they're getting. They're ready to quit. You, yep. you talk to a lot of guys who are ready to quit. And what are some of the things you say to guys like that? Uh, when, what do you say to them, maybe exegetically? What are some passages you point them to? What do you try to help them with, maybe in their conscience, but also recognizing they're hurting and you want to deal with their affections? Uh, what kept you Brian may be going, I can ask that as well, yeah. when things are so hard. You had five votes to get you out of office in the first five well, years? Well, there were well, there were three different movements three, okay. to get me fired in the first five years. So okay, in, that's in Southern Baptist churches, that's how it works. So, okay. so three in the first five years, it was All rough. Right, so so th- yeah. I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking about my mentor Jackson, and he told a story that I always love to hear him tell. He tells a story of a pastor that came to him in a similar way you're describing. And this guy just went on and on about how frustrated he is with his church, 
how much he dislikes the people and the way they treat him and the way right. they act and the way they live their life. And he just went on and on. And Jackson just listened. And when this guy stopped, Jackson looked at him and said, well, I, I, th- I think you should leave the ministry. Yeah. And the man just was shocked. Like, what do you mean leave the ministry? Why would you say such a thing? Jackson looks at him and says, well, you don't like people. And so that's always stuck with me because I think there is this there is this understanding that guys can go be pastors because they love to preach right. and they somehow have idealized what what being a pastor is and what ministry is and all these things and and they they had this they overlooked one small piece to it and it actually involves people not just people but sinners and they're one of the, those peop, those right. sinners so I have found that uh, something that a pastor has to be deeply rooted in is a general love for people, which sets up God being able to do a work by His Spirit to give particular affections for that group of people that He's called to. And I think if, if you don't have that set up from the beginning, then it's already going to be a, a disaster. And a lot of the guys I talk to are, are frustrated for a lot of different reasons. They have a lot of different pain, reasons to be hurt and struggling and discouraged by what they're doing. But but I always have kind of a gut check with them and say, look, do you have a genuine love for these people? If you don't, you're starting already handicapped into this. Right. And you're right, Brian. I think it's saying that you have to love people, but you also have to love the very particular people God has called you to. Right. And so it can be like a guy in a, in a, in a loveless marriage or a bad marriage. And he says, well, I have a high view of marriage. It's just my own wife I don't get along with, that sort of thing. Right. And you have to say, well, that's the woman you have to love. I mean, there's there's no other woman that you were called to love but to but to that particular uh, woman. And there's a little ditty, and I, I quote it often, so I should get it correctly, but I'm not sure I have it exactly right. But this is the gist of it. It says something like, oh, oh to dwell above with the saints I love, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints I know, well, that's another story. And sometimes you can get a guy who... As we talked about in a previous podcast, you travel around and, and you get to go to a congregation and and as it were, they're on their best behavior. They seem so spiritually minded. They're so receptive of the word. They're so appreciative of you. Oh, they love your preaching you know, in a way that it seems your own folk don't. And you could begin almost to get, if I want to use this expression, almost a, a pastorally adulterous heart, you know, to mm-hmm. begin to covet another man's congregation and to think that he's got it easy where where you don't. And it, and it may be the case that he does have it easier than you do. But it is that particular group of people that you are called to shepherd the flock that is among you exercising the oversight. It's that congregation of people that God has put together for you. Your illustration was, was very interesting about marriage because I'm not sure you can have a high view of marriage and not work hard to love the woman that you've been given in marriage. And I think a similar kind of way to connect with this, you you can have a high aspirations and a high view of pastoral ministry, but to miss that the core of your calling is to love that particular people, those broken and struggling people, in in the same way that you're supposed to love your wife in a a marriage. And I think we want to be underscore, Brian, in in this setting, you touched on this a little bit, but I just maybe want to underscore that, is that there is a, we do love our people publicly when we preach to them. Uh, I think I think preaching to them pastorally with messages that are, are, are geared to being understandable and clear and compelling and helpful to them, 
that is a, a chief way in, in which we love them. But there are men who love to preach, who love to study, who love the study, but who don't necessarily love the people that they're pre- preparing for. And, and we, we mentioned at an, in another podcast the whole idea of being a, a chef. And, and if, if I'm a chef at a restaurant, I can cook for somebody I I don't know, that I don't care about. I don't care what their background is. I don't care what burdens they, they carry. I don't care what their financial state is. I don't care what their marriage is like, what struggles they have with their kids. As long as they pay for the meal and don't sue me for it, then uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. But when I get into that pulpit and I look out upon people, I these ought to be people that I know. I know their names. I know their kids. I know their struggles. I, I know where they're strong. I, I have a sense where they're weak and where they need help. And so, yes, that public part of it. But so much of our work is private. Mm-hmm. And that's out of the pulpit. That's sitting down with folk afterward. That's receiving the phone calls. It's setting up the coffee meeting or the breakfast meeting or, or a time to get into somebody's home. And that's the hard work of pastoring. Part of the glamour of, of a conference ministry, even a preaching ministry, is that it's done publicly and it may be well appreciated and it may get some notoriety. You may even get uh, on somebody's blog and get an, an unusual number of downloads or something. And that can be very you know, stoking to your uh, own inner, inner fires for, uh, of meaning. But it's that hard work of, of getting involved, um, getting to know the sheep, the flock that's among you, knowing them and letting them know you. Yeah. It's really what pastoral ministry is ultimately about. You asked me about a, a passage that comes to mind in thinking through this work, and Hebrews thirteen seventeen is what leaps to my mind in, in helping us try to pursue the affections that Paul's talking about when, right. and when he's writing that you read a few moments ago to... Uh, to obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your soul as those who give an account. So the idea of shepherding is that you're shepherding on behalf of the chief shepherd who loves these people exactly right. more than we can imagine. Right. And so that's the that is the the calling for us to to we're not gonna love them like Jesus does, but that is the call to to love them. So Jim, tell us tell us a few ways that you try to sort through this. How do you try to cultivate those affections that we clearly read in Scripture, we're supposed to have, but we have to acknowledge. I mean, I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to love people. It's hard to love difficult people. It's just hard right. to love people in general, especially when you just spend all these. You you have twenty seven years with some people in your church, and it's just hard to love some people. And so, how do you cultivate those? And how can you help somebody who's listening to this do so? Good questions, Brian. I think there are several ways in which we can go about trying to to cultivate it. I I think ultimately we have to understand that love is um is imitative in the in the scriptures and so we love we love because God is love. We love because we have been loved and and we have been loved in a in a way I think you mentioned that we've been loved indescribably. God loves the sheep the shepherd has loved the sheep indescribably. We're among that number. We are the recipients of an unfathomable, indescribable love. And that love needs to be 
understood and as best we can. I mean, Paul describes it in Ephesians 3 as being beyond understanding, but he also prays that we would know it, that we, along with all the saints, would know the love of Christ, which is beyond comprehension. So it's an interesting almost play on words there that we would know something that's incomprehensible. But we need to know that. And so we love as we have been loved. We imitate God in regard to that love. So I think that's the first thing that we need to do for ourselves, particularly when we're dealing with difficult people, is to remember God's love, God's patience with us, to remember the many times we've been difficult to love, uh, to remember how kind God has been to us in our sins, how patient God has been to us. That's always um, a part of it. I do think as well we need to 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 keep in mind the vital importance of love uh, in the uh, among the gifts. So you take in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, and Paul's dealing there with the church in Corinth and with their celebration of certain charismatic gifts. So when he makes references to the tongues of men, angels, and uh, knowing all mysteries and prophesying and all of that, but those things come to us as men in ministry, and we think to ourselves, well, we'd love to preach with the tongues of men, men and angels. We'd love to know all mysteries. You know, we'd love to prophesy and, and do all of those things that sound so impressive. And yet Paul says, if, if we don't have love, then I am nothing. It profits me nothing, and it, and it, and it accomplishes nothing. And a loveless ministry, faithful, orthodox, clear and all of that, yet if it comes in the context where people are not convinced that we love them, then ultimately we're not doing good. And and, and so we need to keep that in our minds as far as an, an incentive to, to love. So keeping close to the love of God for us, uh, filling our minds with these incentives, as well as the, the multiple incentives uh, and commands that are found in the Word of God, just generically for us to to love each other. Those are given to all of God's people. So love becomes the chief thing. It's the mm. it's the chief virtue of the Christian life. In fact, if we don't love, the Bible tells us we have every reason to doubt whether we're even converted, let alone called and equipped uh, to do ministry. So those are some of the things that at least need to be in our hearts and minds. Yeah. Um. But then there are some practical things, I, I think, and I want to touch the, uh, on these with you, Brian, on, on maybe what, what you have done. Uh, but I want, I want to say that one of the things that, that I have done to, to try to cultivate mutual affection uh, is the practice of both of hospitality as well as uh, just generally uh, trying to be in and with and among the Lord's people. And so I don't know, I can expound on that, but maybe ask you to deal with that as well. Have you found that to be uh, helpful as far as saying, I need to get to know these people. I need to have them in my home. I need to spend time with them uh, apart from even just pastoral business and, and opening up a passage or doing, you know, private pastoral work in the home. Are there things that you've done, Brian, to try to say, uh, I just want to spend time with them. I want to go to a kids' track meet. I want to go to a ball game. I want to play on the church softball team. Uh, I'm just going to just get coffee with a guy, just to get coffee with him. There's yeah. no big agenda other than I want to get to know you and love you as a, as a brother. Yeah, I mean that's that's where I find a lot of my affections grow is is going and working in somebody's garden, going to a ball game, watch their kid play. I mean, go 
you know, go play tennis with somebody, mm. um, just get coffee and just, just hang out and go watch a movie or something. That I mean, it's amazing how much that just it, – it makes life just more regular. And, and it's almost like you're building a friendship and a fellowship. And there's a love that, that comes with that. Obviously, it's, they see you as, your pa- as their pastor – but um, there's obviously layers of relationship and love that develops from from out of that. How does that affection that you're cultivating for the people affect you in your preaching and motivate you in your private shepherding of the Lord's people? Just talk about from your perspective, right? from a pastor's perspective. Yeah, so I think um, when I'm with people, or, and I think there's two things I, I consider. One is the just the regular spending time with people kind of going into their world and doing the things that they love to do. And and you get to know them through that. And also just you begin to grow in, in love for one another and then to be there during the times of difficulty, you know, to, that's why I, I, I love going to hospitals. I love being at funeral homes because I think it's, it's where people are most uh, primed to receive ministry mm-hmm. from us. And all of that informs public preaching um, because when you've been able, like you mentioned earlier, when you've been able to be a part of people's lives when they're suffering, and then you preach on suffering, and you're able to to be able to know that person sitting there and able to speak directly to that particular situation, that then also helps somebody else. It's it's amazing the web that God uses within the congregation as you're investing in building relationships with each other in each other's homes, uh, doing just all kinds of things that you would do with with others to build relationship, whether it's in the church or not. And so that becomes part of why your ministry, we talk about pastoral ministry. So it's not just a theological lecture. So you're not just talking about the problem of suffering, for instance. It has real faces. It carries with it people that you you, you are tenderly affectionate toward. Um, and when you're trying to feed them, uh, this is a, a sheep or a lamb that's malnourished or that's struggling or straying. And if you care about them and you love them, that's a whole different uh, category of personal involvement and, and care and stress and weakness and weariness that comes with it than if you, are again, are just kind of uh, the guy, the hired gun or the hireling who doesn't really care about the sheep. Uh, and as long as things are fine, you'll teach and preach. But when things get hard, uh, when the enemy attacks, you might want to cut and run. And now it's time to find that new congre- that new perfect congregation. That's right. Um, out there, and, and I mentioned this to you, Brian. I think you touched on it a little bit. You're, you're when when people are struggling, or hurting, uh, or straying. Maybe I'm going to touch on this a little bit. When somebody's straying. And you need you need to confront them, and you need you you need to go to them. Have you found that that love for them is what compels you, rather than just a bare sense of duty, and that you're going to be held accountable? You know, you're going to give an account, so you better go do it because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. The Bible tells you to do it; it's part of a pastor's job. That should be in our conscience. I'm not saying it shouldn't be there, but do you do you find that? This is somebody I care about. I deeply care about the soul. It's not just, hey, I'm going to give an account for you, and yeah, Christ died for you, but I myself love you. Have you found that to be a help to you in ministering to them? I have. It certainly has helped me. My love for them is is drawn me to them. Even 
it's made me a lot more willing to have a hard conversation. The other thing it does, which is interesting among uh, a group of the group, other pastors that I serve with in my church, is it puts you in a position to for them to receive it from you. Right. That's so true. so I I have found that we'll be in an elders meeting and somebody will need to you know somebody needs to be uh, you know talked to about something going on or there's a conflict and one of us has to kind of try to help mediate this and and it's interesting that a lot of times who's determined does that kind of work is one not just compelled by love but who's going to receive it right. best from one of us and that's who will will send a lot of times it's me because I have the longest standing relationship right. with a lot of these people Jim how does this affect your preaching because when you're dealing with all the, these different folks and you're growing to love them you're a part of their life and their sufferings and in their difficulties when you're preparing to preach a sermon how, what's your process to have that specific pointed application you know to that specific group of people yeah. and how does how does the love for them compel you to to put in that extra hard work in your sermon to be able to give that application yeah that's a great question Brian I think so. First of all, obviously, when you're dealing with a passage, you want to be faithful to God. You, you, so that means sure. that sometimes somebody might say, "Well, if I, because I care about them, I don't feel I can say that." You know, but love, love does tell the truth. You speak the truth in love, and so you you realize that to give God's word as some some have called it sixteen ounces to the pound to to not be ashamed of the Lord or of His word to not be hands off in regard to any doctrine. That's that's faithful to God, but that is also what's most loving uh, to the people. So giving them that truth, ensuring that they understand that truth. And so I, I take somebody like Ryle, uh, J.C. Ryle, uh, and if you don't know who that is, you need to know who that is. You need to know who that is. Uh, yeah, uh, J.C. Ryle, uh, uh, an Anglican minister in England in the uh, mid to late 1800s and into the early 1900s. Uh, Ryle is a master of simplicity in preaching, and there was a time in Ryle's early ministry that he was so intellectually gifted that he that he he was clear. I mean, he was accurate in what he said, but he was also not understood. And his people came to him and told him that, and so he labored hard to be simple mm-hmm. and clear. And he humbled himself in that regard. He didn't say, well, you're just not smart enough, or I need to find a more intelligent congregation. Love compelled him to speak the truth in a way that was clear. So that's part of what we do. And Ryle's uh, a great example of that. Yes, Ryle's a great example of, of how to do that. And then so uh, on, honesty and, and exegetical precision, clarity, but then also knowledgeable application. And, and and so you know, you you make reference to the realities you're preaching here. You know, you know, brothers and sisters, we've been going through our congregation's been going through a difficult time. So, our own congregation, there have been uh, there's been suffering and illness and death that's come upon. We've lost some of our own. We lost two of our two longstanding members recently um, who died. Uh, and then. The situation of a couple of years ago with a, a young man in the congregation dying of brain cancer, a woman killed in a car accident. It's going to affect the way you preach. It's going to affect what you preach. So it may be that that Sunday, 
you're not just going to follow your rigid outline of, of uh, what I was going to preach on. Well, this was the Sunday to preach on tithing, so I'm going to preach on tithing. Everybody's crying. Everybody's upset in the church. Everybody's wondering about how this fits into the sovereignty of God, but I'm going to do my schedule. Right. And th- that's where, you know, sometimes you're going to stay up late Saturday night or, or sun- you get the call Sunday morning that so-and-so is, is, is passed, and you say, all right, we just lost a, a pillar in our congregation, and I've got to acknowledge that. I got I have to. I have to speak to that. I have to address that in in real time. Mm. Um, sometimes it's going to mean the particular pet sins of your congregation. It's, it, it is a loving thing to confront people in their in their sins, and you might say, brothers and sisters, you know, we we've grown cold. Um, there's a why is it so difficult to have a spiritual conversation in this place? Why is it that it's so easy to talk about the latest film or the latest book series or, or song or musical or whatever it is, and it's so hard for us uh, to be able to, you know, we need to be able, you can say that because you're, you're, it's not a, just a generic thing. It's a specific thing in your congregation. You may have to address issues of doctrinal pride or doctrinal indifference and why this matters. And some of you don't seem to get this or you don't seem to care or um, the application of, of personal holiness. I know for some of you, this sounds like legalism. You've come out of a legalistic background and every time a preacher comes to the, to the other side of the therefore, you know, they like the doctrinal side they despise the practical. Some love the practical and don't want the doctrinal foundation. And you, and, and you just say, brothers and sisters, I, mean, I know you, you know me. Some of you love this, some of you don't. And 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 that's just part of, of real life, honest dealings among friends yeah. um, as you speak those things. So as we wrap this up, I want to urge you to realize, if you're a pastor listening to this, that... Your love will build a relational collateral within yes. your church that will allow you to do a lot of things Jim's talking about. To be able to stand up when the time comes and cash some of that in and say hard things out of love, and you'll know when to do it and when to and when to not do it. And love will give you wisdom and discernment to know when is that time and when is the time to to love them by not by not saying some things and then love them by saying some things. Right. I do want to say for every every pastor listening to this, I, I think wants to be a better preacher. You will instantly be a better preacher if you love your congregation, and they know you love them. Yeah, that's true. They will listen to you and bear with you with some uh, an occasional homiletical bomb that you drop. Uh, that is, it's not your best work. It's not your best sermon. But if they know, even when you're struggling up there and you're feeling like you're, you can't punch your way preaching wise out of the wet paper bag that that's a man who loves me and he was in the he was in the study preparing that for me and they will bear with that and they'll bear with less homiletical precision that's coupled with true affection i'm, I'm not excusing homiletical sloppiness no, we, here we won't. Uh, at all but i'm going to say that that people will hear you as a better preacher as they see your integrity and as they know your affection for them, they will automatically love your preaching more than if they are if they are doubting your love or questioning your love for them. So, Jim, as we wrap this up, will you pray for pastors who are listening to this that God would simply give them 
a greater affection for the congregation and the, and the sheep that they care for, realizing that's God's design, even though this is hard to do, this is hard work to love difficult people at times, but we, we pray that God would give that affection for them and it would enhance their ministry across the board because of that. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the great love with which we ourselves have been loved. And you have loved us indescribably and unfathomably. You have given to us your Son, and you have loved us not just in principle, but you have loved us from the fullness of your heart. And Father, we do pray that having experienced that love, that that same love by the Spirit would flow through us, by the Spirit that has regenerated and that animates us and empowers us. Our Father, we pray for hearts and minds captive to the Word of God to see the importance and the seriousness of this love. We pray, Father, that you would aid us in particularly loving, difficult sheep in our, our midst, in getting to know them, entering into their sorrows, trying to understand them, and praying repeatedly that uh, we would be given uh, practical and affectionate elements of love. Father, we desire to do good to your people. We desire that they would benefit from the word publicly, that they would benefit from our ministry privately. And we believe that we will be enabled to do that and that our people will be enabled to receive that ministry all the more if we, uh, we cultivate and express these affections. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Trench Talk. We'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you might have for us. So to get in touch with us, you can email us at brian at practicalshepherding.com or you can contact us through Facebook or Twitter. You can find out more about Practical Shepherding at our website. And at the website, you can find our blog and you can also find information about articles and books that we've published. You can also find out information about our regional workshops where we engage pastors face-to-face to equip them for the trench work of ministry. So until next time, may the God of peace, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you as you labor in the trenches of pastoral ministry.